Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 195 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. That song you were hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check them out anywhere you get your music. Today, we've got a special intersport crossover episode with Mr. Gavin Shaw of Locked On New York Knicks. We're going to be talking a little bit about the state of each franchise. And the other bit of news that I wanted to mention here at the top of the show before we bring Gavin in is that we now know that the Rangers, in addition to owning the number one overall pick in this year's draft, will also pick number 22 in the first round. The Islanders actually did the Rangers a favor by eliminating the Flyers in Game 7. So we'll get into some draft stuff as the week continues. And also over the weekend, Vitality. Tally Krausoff scored his first goal of the season in the KHL, and Leas Anderson came up with a five-point performance in a preseason game with HV71, and it would obviously be huge if the Rangers can get these guys pointed in the right direction, and this is obviously good news for their future prospects with the team. Uh, small sample, obviously, but we will see what happens with each of these players going forward, and for now, let's go ahead and bring Gavin in for part one of our conversation about the Rangers and Knicks. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. We've got a special crossover episode for you guys today. We are going to be taking a look at a documentary on YouTube called The Spring of 1994, which focuses on the Rangers and the Knicks and their runs to the Stanley Cup Finals and the NBA Finals, respectively. And joining me now is one of the hosts of Locked On New York Knicks, Mr. Gavin Shaw. Gavin, how are we doing today, buddy? Great, John. Uh, really excited to be on the podcast and get a chance to talk to you. I always, I always feel like I don't watch quite enough hockey and I'm amazed that I don't watch more because it's this incredible thing that there's a team also owned by James Dolan that plays a good chunk of its games in the very same building as the Knicks. And by and large, has been extremely competent, even reaching, obviously, a NHL finals in the last couple of years. Um, currently looks to be on a great trajectory. I know that because my dad is a massive Rangers fan. I know you guys just won the lottery. Um, and, and it's amazing that I devote all my attention, time and effort to a team that has so thoroughly struggled in increasingly painful <laughs> ways over the years. When, when there's another team that's, again, perfectly good that, that I could have been rooting for this whole time. Um, so excited to talk Rangers with you and excited to talk about a, a better time for both teams. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of the same thing with me when it comes to basketball. You know, I'm, I'm a very casual fan, but I always think I should watch a little bit more. I think part of the issue is that, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs, they run kind of side by side every year. So you're almost kind of forced to choose between one or the other. And I, I think, uh, you know, that that's kind of unfortunate because I would definitely like to watch more NBA playoffs as well. Yeah. And they've, they've been rolling along, right? I always think the NBA playoffs are great. And then the hockey, um, usually during the NHL playoffs is the one time I'll really like lock in and watch full games. And especially when the Rangers were, were at their peak a couple of years back and consistently making the conference finals, conference semifinals, um, the Stanley Cup championship that one year. And there's nothing like playoff hockey for I, I'm going to yeah. post this podcast on my feed as well. And I'm sure all of your fans are, are well aware, but even even compared to how good the NBA has been, and I'm, I'm thinking about the bubble right now where every game sort of feels kind of March Madness-esque and like they've, they've all been going down the wire. We've had buzzer beater after buzzer beater after buzzer beater. Like the like tension in your stomach during like a Stanley Cup playoff game when it's going like down to the final few minutes, like yeah. power play for one team or another. 
Like I, you, you almost, it's, you get that a little bit on, on the final possession of a basketball game, but with hockey, like obviously one goal just swings it so dramatically one way or another, like there's almost no capturing that in another sport. Yeah. It's really tough to replicate. And I mean, you will not see a more frenzied crowd than we're going to get into this, you know, right now, but you will not see a more frenzied crowd than uh, game seven, you know, Rangers and Canucks in 1994 uh, of the finals and the Rangers hanging on to a one goal lead for the final 10 minutes of that game. I mean, even as a kid, I was only seven years old when all this was happening, but even as a kid, you could feel that tension. You could feel that excitement and you could feel that nervousness in the building too, because man, these Ranger fans, they had seen some things, you know, it'd been 54 years since they won the Stanley cup. So everybody's on pins and needles, uh, you know, just wishing and hoping and praying that they're going to hang on for this win. And lo and behold, they did. Um, And you know, you just can't, I've never seen anything like that ever since, you know, as far as that kind of electricity in a building uh, for any one game. Just wanted to take a minute to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Built Bar. It is the best tasting protein and energy bar that I have ever had. It's kind of hard to explain. You just have to experience it for yourself. It's got real chocolate, amazing flavors, and unlike a lot of other protein bars, energy bars, you don't need a gallon of water to get rid of that weird, funky aftertaste that sometimes comes with the other bars. It's just good, and it actually kind of tastes quite a bit like a candy bar. It has an amazing combination of low calories, high protein, and low sugar. There are no crazy additives, and if you compare it to the most popular men's bar, Cliff, it is half the calories, seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams, and more protein. How can it be that good and taste that good? I don't know. You just got to try it for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off of your first box at BuiltBar.com. Once again, use promo code Locked On and get $10 off your first box at www.builtbar.com. And it's it's interesting to to think about that kind of energy from a Knicks perspective, because the Knicks, and this sounds incredible for lifelong fans, but there, there are people in their mid-40s who um, have never seen the Knicks win a title. There are people probably in their early 50s who don't remember seeing the Knicks win a title where two or three years away from 50 seasons since the next last one, a championship 1972, 73, obviously that 94 year was uh, the closest the Knicks got getting down to the final minute against the Houston Rockets in game seven of the NBA finals. We, we did a series of podcasts on that earlier this year with uh, Chris Herring of ESPN, who was writing a book on those nineties Knicks. Those were really great. If anyone wants to go back and check those out, but it, it's so interesting, John, to just to hear you talk about those crowds, because I always imagine like MSG and I'm sure it's considered the same way for the Rangers. Like it, it's considered universally in the NBA, the best place to play a game. And that's what the Knicks being arguably the worst team in the league over the last two decades. And I always imagine like, what if they were just good? And I'll, I'll flash back to the 2012-13 <laughs> season where they were, where they were, I mean, they were more than competent. They were, I mean, for a stretch, they were the best team in the NBA, the first 23 or so games of the year. They finished the season with the third or fourth best record in all of basketball. And that it was just exhilarating. You can even look at um, Jeremy Lin for that. Uh, what was it? An eight game stretch in 2011-12. And it was like ultimately like any other crowd like would have appreciated and it would have been a fun thing in New York. It was it was like an event. And, and yeah. it's, just, it's it's incredible to think of the ceiling of what the experience could be like at Madison Square Garden with a genuine superstar. And the closest the Knicks have come to that is Carmelo Anthony. But I can't help but look back at last offseason where the Knicks nominally had a shot at two in Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson if they had won the lottery. And I, I just, I, I fall asleep at night thinking about it, like even a year later, just because it would have been this incredible 
life-changing thing for so many people. And I think it's, it's hard to overrate. And it's interesting now because it seems like the Rangers as a franchise are almost trending in that direction with, with nominally one of the most talented teams in the league. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, John, but I think the youngest roster in all of hockey last year, now they add the number one pick in this year's draft. It, it seems like you guys are on the trajectory that Knicks fans dream of being on. Yeah, I mean, they really, the front office really kind of made a gutsy call a couple of years ago because the Rangers had some players. Uh, they were getting a little bit older, but they were definitely beloved players, uh, players that had been a part of those deep playoff runs that you mentioned and, and that had gone to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2014. But it got to the point where the Rangers decided, you know what, we're going to rebuild and we're not going to do this halfway. We're going to basically just trade everybody and stockpile prospects and stockpile draft picks. And uh, this past season, you know, they at least got into the playoffs. I mean, I know it was a 2014 playoff tournament. That obviously makes it a little bit easier, but they at least got there. And uh, you're starting to see the fruits of their labor, you know, of this rebuild where you've got these young, talented players like Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin. I mean, those guys are both superstars. They look to have the goalie of the future with Igor Shesterkin. I could go on and on. We're just kind of scratching the surface here, but it definitely feels like it's a franchise that's moving in the right direction. And uh, with the Knicks, I mean, do you feel... Is there any kind of optimism? Because you, know, you talked about Jeremy Lin and you talked about the 2012 season and Carmelo Anthony. I feel like Knicks fans, they're, they're waiting for something to just kind of grab onto, whether it's like a certain team or a certain player or whatever it might be. Is there any optimism that this thing is moving in the right direction for the Knicks? Yeah, I think there is in the sense that the front office seems to be in a much better place. And there's always sort of this, I think, um, deep-seated frustration uh, with, the Rangers, like the lack of interference uh, of James Dolan. And, and to some degree, I think it's a little misguided because in, in a sense, like Dolan's always been willing to spend money on the Knicks. Like that, that's, that hasn't been his problem. The issue has been consistently hiring the wrong people and then bailing early on those wrong people. Um, sometimes too late, sometimes too early, and then rapidly starting again, but never really willing to be able to like, I, to use like, to, to use like an analogy to like take his medicine, like he'll, he'll do these half-hearted tank efforts as they have time and time again over the last 20 years and then never fully go through with them. And, and when they hired um, Leon Rose, uh, for those who don't know, uh, LeBron James, former agent and, and nominally one of the two or three most powerful agents um, in the NBA over the last 15 years um, to run the team, it sort of felt like that again to me because I was like, all right, this is this is kind of the embodiment of star hunting. You're, you're getting a guy who has the relationships with the players, and this is the Knicks making the same mistake over and over again, thinking that by the sheer fact that they play in New York, by the sheer fact that they are the Knicks, superstars are going to walk in and want to play. And, and they've been banking right. on that for 20 years. It hasn't happened for 20 years. Yeah, the one yeah. that they got, Carmelo Anthony, they, they had to trade a bunch of assets for. Um and it just sort of felt like we were doing the same thing all over again. And I was just li living in this reoccurring nightmare. But then the way Rose has, has proceeded to run the team, and granted, we still don't know a whole lot. He hasn't really been able to make um, like any trades yet. Obviously, uh, free agency has been delayed for months. The draft has been delayed for months. So it's, it's hard to gauge exactly what his philosophies are. The hiring of Tom Thibodeau. I didn't, not that I thought it was an atrocity and um, there was, there were some rumors that they were going to go after Jason Kidd, which would have been a whole lot worse, but it, it did kind of represent like the win now move that I didn't want them to make. And I was hoping that they'd go with someone a little more forward thinking, someone with a little bit of a greater track record of player development, but with the assistant coaches they've got under him, Johnny Bryant and Kenny Payne, two guys who have an incredible track record of player development and a front office staff um, of guys with really highly renowned scouting track records 
and even going so far as to get a capologist and Brock, Brock, excuse me, Brock Aller from the Cleveland Cavaliers, it does feel like they're moving in a more um, nuanced and I, I guess thorough way than they would in the past. And it's not just trying to like hit with like a blunt object anymore. They're really right. being very specific in, in the moves they're making and the types of guys that they're hiring. And it feels like for the first time in a decade plus that they're an actual NBA organization and not a joke relative to the rest of the league in categories like player development and scouting, which are the backbone of any team. So I feel really, really good about that. But I'm, I'm interested to hear from the Rangers perspective, um, what do you guys think about James Dolan? Because again, I just can't get over the utter weirdness of having a, a long time now competent team under his run and, and one that um, I'm trying to think of like the equivalent of what the Rangers are doing now in the NBA. Maybe the Miami Heat are a good example, a team with tons and tons of young talent who sort of pulled guys like Duncan Robinson out of nowhere and, and turned them into stars and, and now have this great basis going forward to be really, really great. And it just feels weird to associate James Dolan with a team like that. Yeah, I mean, with Dolan, I, I feel like he's a little bit more hands-on with the Knicks than he is with the Rangers, and he just kind of leaves the Rangers to their own devices when it comes to, you know, personnel moves and what have you, and that might be for the better, you know, based on everything that Knicks fans tell me about the way he runs that team. But I think for the most part, you know, he kind of tends to defer to Jeff Gordon, the general manager, who I think has done a really nice job. He's had a couple of misses, but since he's become the GM, he's definitely had more hits than misses. Uh, he's responsible for, you know, the Mika Zibanejad trade. He's responsible for trying to bring Adam Fox in here, uh, signing Artemi Panarin. Obviously, with the draft, they get a little bit lucky this past season. They're going to use that pick to take Alexi Lafreniere, who's a, a phenom. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's mostly the one steering the ship and also John Davidson as well. Uh, so I think for the most part, uh, Dolan tends not to to meddle in the Rangers affairs all that often. And I think that's probably for the better based on everything that's happened with the Knicks for however long you want to go back at this point. Yeah, no, it, it, it certainly is. And it's, I, I just, I've always questioned whether he puts an inherent ceiling on the Knicks and what they can do and yeah. whether you can win with an owner who again, was just never really been willing to stomach a complete rebuild. And I've sort of had my philosophy changed a little bit over the course of this offseason where I was still a bit wary just because every single effort to accelerate the timeline in the past, and and again, for me, that's I'm, I'm 25 years old. It's been 20 years since the Knicks were consistently good. There was w the one flash in the pan, 12-13, was right. the only time in the last yeah. two decades where they've won a playoff series. And even that year, far so far and away their best year in recent memory, they lost in six games in the second round. Um, right. And it feels, and to that point, I've, I've always wondered, like, all right, as long as Dolan's there, will anything change? And it feels like um, the old, like, I, I think, fakely attributed to Albert Einstein quote, like the definition of insanity is repeating the same action over and over again and expecting a different result. But it does, I'm trying not to let that history and that uh, sports trauma uh, block me from recognizing what's happening now, which does feel a little bit different, at, at least in terms of, um, the level of preparation that's going into it. And as so many people have pointed out, and I tend to agree with, it's very rare to, as as much as it's sort of idealized in, in NBA circles and, and NBA punditry, the idea of rebuilding through the draft and rebuilding through young players, the, the, the real truth is, and I can go back to the team I just referenced, the Miami Heat, it, it feels like the way to build is a synergistic approach between acquiring young players at value, guys I, I mentioned like a, a 
Duncan Robinson. They got Kendrick Nunn, who finished second for Rookie of the Year from the G League. They got Bam Adebayo, who's an all-star at the end of the lottery. Tyler Hero, who looks like a future all-star at the end of the lottery. And yet at the same time, they use the fact that they're the Miami Heat and that Miami is one of the more attractive locales in the entire NBA to go get Jimmy Butler. But they were only able to do that because Butler respected the fact like, hey, these guys have won three titles and they built a culture. They built an identity of hard work and and viciousness and competitiveness and everything that he embodies as a player. And he wanted to be a part of that. And now it's interesting with the Knicks hiring Tom Thibodeau, it feels like they're going for that. And it feels like they're going for developing an identity. And in doing so, they're not excluding the idea of building through the draft, but they're creating an infrastructure that will be attractive to free agents. Where before, like all these people last year lashed out at Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for not coming to the Knicks. And whatever you want to say about those guys, I couldn't blame them. Like, why would you come to the Knicks after seeing the garbage fire they were for two decades plus? Like, there's just no, there's no way any superstar with half a brain would see this situation and say, all right, there might be a little bit of talent there. But it makes so little sense for me to pick the Knicks. And this is painful to say, but even over the Nets, who who were much closer to where the Heat were as an organization, even if they've had some slip ups of late. Um, But I've gone on for a while, John. I kind of want to hear from you because I I would just I'd love to learn and I'd love to bring it back to the Knicks. What do you think makes the Rangers a good organization right now? Like what are sort of the tent poles that have allowed them to, I, I think, do something similar to what I just described and have that synergistic rebuild where they made good trades. They developed good young players like Chris Kreider. I know he's a little older now, but he was he was a long time. One of my favorite. But it, it feels like they always pull these guys at, out of nowhere and, and continually turn them into, if not stars, really good players. Yeah, I think the big thing is just having a plan in place because whether you're a Ranger fan, whether you're a Knicks fan, whatever sport you might be into, whatever your favorite team might be, uh, you can stomach a little bit of losing. You can accept the fact that your team is going to be down for a couple of years as the Rangers have been uh, these past two years or three years, really. And then this year they got a little bit better. You can accept all that if you believe that there's a plan in place, if you kind of see the vision that the organization has. When you're a fan of one of these teams that just kind of does random things and can't decide if they're coming or going, They don't know whether to rebuild. They don't know whether to go all in with what they've got right now. That's what will drive you nuts, and that's that just paves the way to mediocrity. With the Rangers, I think what really worked here is they committed 100% to this rebuild. Uh, There were a lot of players that they traded away in exchange for you know prospects and draft picks. You could go with Ryan McDonough or JT Miller or Rick Nash or Matt Zuccarello. I mean, that one just killed a lot of people saying goodbye to Matt Zuccarello. Uh, Derek Broussard. I mean, the Derek Broussard trade brought in Mika Zibanejad, so that worked out very nicely. But you get the idea. A lot of these really beloved Ranger players that were traded away. And, you know, it, it hurts. It's, it's tough to say goodbye to these guys, especially all the success that they had together. But I think just the idea of, you know, the Rangers realizing, OK, this probably isn't going to happen with this current group of players. So we need to just start this whole thing over. We need to lay a new foundation. We need to stockpile draft picks. We need to, uh, you know, get these veterans out of here in exchange for some young players. And they did that. And it's very exciting to see. I mean, you've got some young players. I mean, Capo Caco, the number two overall pick in the draft this past year, he did underachieve a little bit this season, but I think he's definitely moving in the right direction. I think he's going to continue to develop. And I think, uh, you know, having him out there on the same line as Artemi Panarin next season, uh, which is probably what's going to happen, that's looking good as well. And, you know, they've developed a goalie as well. I mean, they've got Igor Shesterkin. He only played 12 games, but it looks like they stole him. It took him in the fourth round of the draft, and there were, I believe, 13 goalies drafted ahead of him that season. And none of them are really looking like they're going to be perennial all-stars. So uh, the Rangers overall, you know, they're again, there have been a couple of misses. The trade that sent Ryan McDonough and JT Miller to the Tampa Bay Lightning is one of them. I don't think they got enough in return for that. 
But overall, like I said, I mean, they've they've made the moves that they have to do to get this team kind of uh, get some new blood in there and get it pointed in the right direction. And I think the future looks bright. I'm really excited to see what happens and we'll see what they do. They got a lot of uh, free agents. There's eight free agents this year and you could really make a case for keeping some of these guys. You could really make a case for letting some of them walk. But there's going to be some tough decisions to be made. But either way, you know, I, I think this this thing is definitely going in the right direction. All right. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. A big thanks to Gavin as well for teaming up for this crossover episode here today. And we will have part two likely in tomorrow's episode for you guys. Again, just continuing to talk a little bit about the Rangers and Knicks and also reminiscing about the spring of 1994 when the Rangers and Knicks both made it to the finals of their respective sports. But that will do it for today, guys. If you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.